0: Hey, Hill City, my name's Matt, and I'm part of the team here. We're so glad you're online with us this morning. We want you to know that Hill City is a safe place for you to get to know Jesus, so if you're curious or you have doubts, questions, or fears, we'd be honored to talk through them with you. If you've been watching with us, we wanna check in with you and, and make sure you're doing okay. You can fill out a connection card on our website to help you get connected with real, live people. Today, we've got a few songs and then the next message in our sermon series. Thanks for being here.
1: Well, hey, good morning, everybody. So good to see you guys. Um, If you're uh, new here with us, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of the team here at Hill City and just so grateful uh, to see um, each and every one of you. An honor that you spend a portion of your Sunday with us. If you are looking for uh, a church that you can call home, uh, we really do hope that Hill City becomes that place for you. Um, and and if we're not, that's okay. Like, we get it. That happens. And uh, But we'd love to help you find one because we think everyone should have a home church and a place that they love to go to and be part of the community there. And so and we've got folks um, on your way out in the lounge area that would love to talk to you. And uh, as you can see, it's actually um, right here in this new Breezeway area. We've kind of changed the setup a little bit so it's a little bit easier. Um, but we'd love to talk with you and, and answer any questions that you uh, might have. Um, how many of you guys participated in the Olympics yesterday? Anybody? Yeah. Right, yeah. People think like, oh, the Olympics are going on. But we had the no Olympics yesterday and Deandra came to me this morning and she's like, how you doing? I was like, ah, oh, my neck kind of hurts. And she said, why? I was like, just carrying all that gold around. It's hard to, <laughs> hard to do. But we did it. Team Pink is where it's at. But anyway. Um, we're in this series called uh, Won't He Do It, uh, which is a study in the book of Mark, and so if you're not familiar with your Bibles, um, the Bible's broken up into an Old Testament and New Testament, there's 66 books in the Bible, and uh, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and these Gospels uh, really detail out and give us a portrait of who Jesus is and what he taught, and each Gospel actually gives just like a little different angle and perspective on some different elements of his teachings. And so we've been taking a long look uh, at the book of Mark, and we've seen a lot up to this point. You know, we've seen a lot of kingdom talk. We've seen him uh, really address some uh, hypocrisy. We've seen all these big miracles, and his fame is kind of of growing. Uh, Last week, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000, and this week, we're gonna talk about uh, another pretty familiar story um, for a lot of us if you grew up in church, um, about uh, Jesus walking on the water. And uh, I wanna look at a couple different things that I think are important um, in that story. But um, what, one of the other things that we see um, so far uh, in Mark is that the disciples are often confused. They're often missing the point. They're often distracted. Jesus is not doing this on purpose. Um, it's just that's the way they are, right? Like how many guys have gotten distracted at one point in time and you miss something? Yes, like we, we, when we see this stuff in the story with the disciples, we, we, it's, it's meant to be that we resonate with this, okay? And we live in a world of complete distraction, right? We, it's a constant uh, distraction. I'm fascinated by the way our brains work and everything. And, um, you know, your attention span, in, 2000, uh, in the year 2000, they measured the attention span of humans. And at that point in time, it was 12 seconds. Okay, that's it. And uh, 2013, they did it again and it's eight seconds now. All right, so a goldfish has nine seconds. All right, so if that's like of of any, just just where we're at, all right? That's your attention span. You know, within the context of one second, in one second, your brain will, will refocus four times. It's trying to, within one second, your, your brain, the way it works, it's like, it's gathering information that quickly, um, every second, four times, trying to figure out what is going to, like, your attention is going to be driven towards, right? But there's all these distractions in the midst of this. And so um, one of my favorite shows was uh, the show called Brain Games. And there's this one guy who does, like, all this illusionist stuff. So I want you to see uh, what he does um, with how he does, like, uh, focus and distraction, how he manages it.
0: interesting about the term misdirection is it's a misnomer. Most people think it means look at this hand while I do something with this one, but actually what I want to do is direct and control your attention. At least know where it is because if I send your attention off into the darkness it can come around just like throwing a boomerang and hit me when I don't want it to. So I like to think of it as managing attention because control is a hard word but I manage the attention kind of like water flow and I see where it goes and I have to move with that. Spotlight is only the size of your thumbnail, one one one-thousandth of your field of view. That means if I can see where your eye motion is, I can now navigate around that and do certain things. Plus, because you have to make choices between all your senses, your vision, your hearing, all those are coming into one spot. If I can tap into your priority system, I can now start hacking to reprioritize certain things so that other things will go under the radar. And that's a very interesting way to take advantage of attention. Try to follow along. If I put the cap on the pen, it looks like it goes away, yet right now it's behind my elbow. If I put it back on the pen, it goes away, but now it's behind my ear. Now if you did this slowly, you could see when I put the cap on the pen, yet it seems like the cap went away, but now the cap is behind my ear. It's a fun game, isn't it?
1: So I watched that video about 10 times. Every time I'm watching the cap, I'm watching the cap, I'm watching, the, I don't know where the cap goes, okay? So, but I bring that stuff because it's like our, our attention spans and our focus can get off, you know, so quickly. Even when, um, if there's a gap in a story, like, or if there's a gap in communication, there's a gap in, in what you uh, think should happen, your brain automatically fills in the gap with the story. So if you've heard part of the details of a story, but you haven't hid the, f- the finishing part yet, your brain automatically fills in the gap. That's why you've had moments um, where you've thought someone said something, they never said it, right, and your brain fills in the gap, so now, now, I say that, now don't if you're in a like, conflict with someone, and would be like, oh, it's the brain gap thing. Like, I know how you guys could like, use that to your advantage. But that's not, that's not really, it's, like, it's about our focus. It's about what we're concentrating on. It's about where we're like, honed in on to make sure that we're going to the right spots. And so the main thought here for this morning is simply this, that our focus starts with what we determine is most important. Our focus starts with what we determine is most important. And we do fail at this, all right? We all fail at this. And um moment of honesty, how many of you guys have text and driven? It's okay. All right. Okay. At that moment, right, you determined that your focus was that message was more important than you being a safer driver, right? We all know we are a worse driver when we do that. And we're more dangerous. But yet, our focus was a screen and a text or whatever, we determined that was most important, right? So our focus deeply matters, and it can get us into trouble. Well, these disciples, like this happens to them, their focus is off. And so so they've determined certain things are more important as they're interacting with Jesus, interacting with his stories, even interacting with his miracles. They're looking at certain things, but they keep missing it. And they do it again in this story in Mark chapter six. And so if you wanna open your Bibles, you can do that. Um, It'll also be up on the screen here. Um, but here's Mark chapter 6, starting verse 45. It says, Immediately, Jesus made, all right? So that's important. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them uh, to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up to a mountainside to pray. We're going to talk about that in a second. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone, all right. He's alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to, pa- he was about to pass by them. All right, so that's like a part that maybe you've read that before and you're like, was you just going to go by and be like, hey, what's up, fellas? Like just kind of go on, right? But there's, there's something significant to the pass by them there. But when they saw him walking on the lake, there it is again, walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because all, um, all they saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I, all right, so these are all big phrases. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. So if you've been with us here in this series, and we're in week nine of this series, they have seen so many things, right? The disciples. And they're like, they just saw Jesus, like, take five loaves and two fish and feed 20,000 people. And, and they're like, we don't get it. We still don't get it, right? Like, we just still don't understand, right? We should, again, we should be like, this feels so good that the disciples were right with Jesus and they didn't get it. So when we don't get it, we'll be like, hey, we're in good company, right? Because their hearts, look at this. Were hardened. When they had crossed over and landed in Genesara and, and, and anchored there, as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. Look at that. Isn't that interesting? As they got about the, the people recognized Jesus. They, they saw Jesus. But the disciples are supposed to be the in crowd. But these other people, they're the ones that recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into the villages, towns, or countryside. They placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. So even how those people responded, these quote-unquote outsiders, this is going to be very significant in how we see um, this story. And we're going to talk about, because some of you guys that might be familiar with this story, you would be like, wait, what about Peter walking on the water? Isn't that part of it? And and yes, it is. It's another version of the story in Matthew. And we're going to talk about that um, as well. But here's what I want us to get to first. When we think about our focus and what's really important, we've got to take a look at what are some of the components that that were like significant in the story. And the first one is this, is the power of his presence. All right, the power of his presence. This is very significant when we begin to look at Jesus here. We're like, oh, man, something significant happened when his presence was around them, right? It's, it's something incredible. As Jesus was stepping into this, he's like, man, they're struggling in this boat, and they can't figure out, and the wind's whipping against them, and, and Jesus, in and the presence of Jesus does something uh, very significant. Now, we've come across this several times, right? Um, every single week, we're like, Jesus enters into a scenario, and his presence does something. I can't stress this part enough for us as followers of Jesus when the presence of Jesus is around us something significant happens we are not left the same the situation we are in is not the same when Jesus enters in it changes so so here's the thing if you're in a situation in your life where you feel like you're in a loop I'm telling you that when Jesus enters into that loop, it changes. If you feel like you're stuck, when Jesus enters into it, it changes. And that's what's really important for us to fully grasp that that my focus has got to go there because the things of Jesus, his teachings, his miracles, the way his kingdom works, it changes everything. What's cool about the Bible, and we've done this every week, is um, there's this theologian named Tim Mackey. He talks about the hyperlinks of what the Bible does, and I want to highlight a few of them because they're so important about the power and the presence of Jesus in this moment. And I was circling and highlighting them as we were going through them in the beginning. But in the in verse 46, all right. So in verse 46, if you're taking notes, in verse 46, he talks about this mountainside, all right. So when they were um, traveling around, they would have these mountains, all right. And the mountains, you know, they would look something like that in general, and. These mountainsides were, uh, in ancient civilizations, what people believed about the mountains, were like, that's where the gods were. Right? The gods resided on the mountains. And so they would look off into the mountains, and they would be like, that's where all the gods are. Because a lot of times, they could never get there. All right, so, so they would look off into the distance, and be like, man, we don't know what's out there, but man, the gods must be on the mountain. And then the highest mountains would, would be reserved for the biggest gods. And so even if you look at this kind of stair-stepping motion that's here, that's why, if you've ever seen how temples are typically built like this, right? They do it because of the mountains. Like, that's the architecturally, like, that's what they believe, that, that the gods would be in there. That's why they built temples and, th- and things in that way. But here's what ends up happening. In the mountains, in the mountains, they were like, that's where the gods are. So even when, when Mark is writing here, he's like, Jesus was on the mountainside. And they're, put, they're placing Jesus into this category that an ancient person would, would hear that and be like, oh, he's on the mountainside by himself. Who goes on the mountains? God goes on the mountains, and so he's, they're placing Jesus alone on the mountainside, and it's a significant piece. In uh, verse uh, forty-eight, in verse forty-eight, it says, "On the sea." On the sea, right? So when we're talking about on the sea, I mean, here's what ends up happening. If you were here, the one he's on the sea. What's Jesus doing, right? Here's Jesus. Look at him. He's he's walking what? On the sea. And uh, If you guys were here for the week, I talked about the water. This is like so significant And If you weren't here, it was just a few weeks ago and go back and listen to it But but being on the water who, who could only walk on the water? God in, in Genesis 1 the Spirit hovered what over the waters in this same language like on the water In Job chapter 9 it talks about God like walking on the water in Psalms It talks about God only God could walk on the water And so even him using this language of they saw jesus he was walking on the water it becomes significant it isn't just the miracle of someone walking on the water all right you might be thinking like seriously how many guys have ever stepped on the water at one point in time thought is this the time (laughs) right like it's it's not about that it's really about it's like he's it's this phrasing that there's like he's on the water which is supposed to be the most significant all right then there's this other phrase that's so so big, so big. Um, In verse 48, it talks about him what? That he passed by them. All right, this is also in verse 48. So in verse 48, when he passes by them, this language is also unbelievably significant. Because there's these two huge stories that a Jewish listener would always pay attention to um, that were significant in the entire shaping of the Jewish faith, and it's the Exodus story, and then uh, and with Elijah, who's the, also the one of prophets. So the Exodus story with Moses, and then Elijah, who's one of like, the key prophets. And we'll counter this whole thing again uh, in a few weeks uh, in the story of the transfiguration. But, but in this story, it says that like, Moses is begging, he's like, I, I, wanna, I wanna see your glory, God, and it says that, that God says, well, you can't see the fullness of me, but I will what? Pass by you, and you'll experience my glory. And then Elijah, in the same way, um, and, and listen, both of these things happened on the mountainside, okay? And so uh, Elijah, Elijah, um, it, he's going through, and there's this story where Elijah's up at Mount Carmel, and there's this, this element where he's like, all right, I, I, he's having this like, interaction with God, and he comes by in a lot of different forms and says that he passes by him. And Elijah has this incredible experience with God. And so even the language of this passing by, is trying to get the, the listener to point in, like, I'm telling you about this Jesus, the power of his presence. It isn't just some man. It's bigger than that. His miracles aren't just, like, there's a practical element to his miracles. But it isn't just that. It's his presence is God entering in. His presence reshapes everything. His presence changes the circumstances. It changes everything. And so the listener at this point in time would have been kind of like going back and going back and going back and thinking about, oh man, you're saying, Mark, that this Jesus walking, like you're pointing to God. And he's like, that's who I'm pointing to. And God, as he begin to work in this life, it begins to change everything in your life. Um, in this story, Jesus gets on the boat with them, right? And what does it say the wind does? It does what? calms down there's something significant about when Jesus enters in that the presence of Jesus has practical advantages to your life listen I'm all in on the spiritual side okay yes clearly in the eternal side this message of Jesus but there are practical advantages to Jesus's presence in your life it changes things it does not leave you the same it does not leave Your relationship, the same. Think about this. If you're in a a tough relationship and you decided, hey, I wanna live out in this relationship the same way that Jesus taught, would the relationship change? Yes. If both people decide to do it, can the relationship be flipped upside down? Yes. Well, Why is that? Because what Jesus Jesus taught, when he enters into our relationships, and enters into our hearts, and enters into our minds, and enters into our souls, and enters into our circumstances, everything changes. Some of you guys might have um, been around people who have gone through horrific times of suffering and pain. And they keep saying things like this, but I just, I'm gonna trust in Jesus in this moment. I'm gonna keep praying and let him enter into this. Does it take away the pain? It doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't take away the, the like how hard it is. It doesn't mean it isn't hard, but there's something that changes in the significance of his presence that allows them to enter into this really difficult time and they see something different in it because Jesus changes everything. The power of his presence in your life. So if you're stuck in a loop, if your relationships are in a bad place, if you're trying to figure things out, if you're... Or if you're going through a horrific time right now, I'm telling you, invite Jesus into it. If you invite him into it, the power of his presence will begin to change anything, everything. So let me ask you these two questions to begin to process. Do you believe the presence of God has more power than your current circumstance? It's important. No matter what you're going through, no matter what relational status you're in, no matter what's going on, do you believe it? And I mean, really believe it. Really believe it. I understand there are practical elements. I understand things are hard. I I, I understand all of those things, but I'm saying, do you really believe it that God is bigger than your circumstance? It changes everything. It changes your hope. It changes your focus. It changes how you begin to enter into conversations it doesn't make it clean. There might be scenarios where like, you might be in a rough relationship, right? And it's like, I'm all in, but the other person isn't. It doesn't make it, it's gonna magically get better, okay? I get all those things, but I'm saying, but for you, for you in your circumstance, if God is, is bigger than it, what does that change for you? Where does your focus go? Where does it, how does your heart begin to, to change? Or do you have, how about this, do you have more or less hope if you focus on the power or the presence of Jesus in your life? You think about that. Do do you have more or less hope if we focus on the power of Jesus and his presence in our life? Sometimes like with some of this kind of, I look at what's happening culturally and, and everything else, I'm like, the secular thought has no answer to evil, has no answer to pain, has no answer to suffering, has no answer to purpose or anything. And so in that moment, what is, where's the hope? It's absent. But man, when we take, into, we take a step into this, we're like, whoa, if, I, if this whole Jesus thing is true, I think my hope changes. If this Jesus thing is true, and this presence is true, And that's where my focus should be. That becomes the most important part. So when you're in this trial, when you're in this suffering, when you're trying to figure things out and your time is confusing, it's like, no, no, let me go to Jesus and things that he taught and the things that he focused on and what his kingdom means because that's where my focus is. Because if my focus is there, I have more hope. And so we take a step back in these moments that are hard and we're like, am I really focusing on Jesus? Am I really in on that or am I so distracted with all these other things? Am I honing in and my focus is like, this is where I'm going with it. Because if it is, my hope changes. If it is, even the practical things I wanna engage, they begin to change. And my perspective dramatically shifts simply by saying, I'm gonna focus on the presence of Jesus in the midst of this. It changes everything, not some things, everything, for us. Here's the second thing that I want us to focus on that's important. His command. His command. Now, he he puts the focus in ver- verse 50. He's like, I want you to see me here. I'm past and He enters in. They, they finally, like, is it a ghost? Is it? What, what's going on out there? And, and, and the wind's whipping and everything. And, and, and he says, it's me, it's, it, it's Jesus. Right? And, and he says this one kind of key phrase. This is another like little hyperlink. He, he says, it is I. And some translations will say, like, I am. And it, it's the story where Jesus is actually tying back into Moses. He's tying back into these storylines about the Old Testament of God making these big statements about, like, I am. And Jesus is saying that same thing in that moment. But he has this other little phrase that's in there in verse... 50. He says, to take what? Courage. He doesn't ask. He doesn't say, hey, maybe if you can find it, maybe this can build up some courage. He, he says, no, no, no. I'm commanding you to take courage. I'm commanding you to take courage. The wind is whipping in your face, but I'm commanding you to take courage. Why can they take courage because Jesus is there? Why can they take courage because Jesus is bigger than their circumstances? Why can they take courage because, because Jesus can enter in and change everything? Why can they take courage because they know that in the power and in the presence of Jesus, everything changes? And so he says, Take courage. He doesn't even tell them to pray at that moment, does he? He doesn't say anything else. He's like, he's like take courage in the midst of your trial. Take courage when the wind feels like it's whipping against you. Take courage because this is where you find your hope, and this is where you find your focus, and this is where it begins to center everything. So we begin to, the only way, the only way we can have courage, and I'm talking about like authentic, real courage, and we can take courage is when our focus is centered on Jesus. But when I was thinking about that this week, this is what came to mind. It is hard to center our courage in Jesus when we've already occupied that space with ourselves. We do a lot for ourselves. We do um, some good things for ourselves. But when it's all about me, we put the self right in the middle of everything, that becomes our focus, and it's a lot harder to take courage. When it's all these disciplines, and I'm all for disciplines and all these things, and listen, I get all the practical elements, but I'm, I'm saying like at the core, at the center of what's driving you, if it isn't Jesus and it's yourself, you then make selfish decisions, and it's really hard to have courage in those moments. Because in those moments where you really need courage, you're going to start thinking, how oh, about I'm kind of insecure about this? Why? Because it's about you. What are they going to say about me if I, have, if I, if I step forward in the courage? Because it's about you. But to take courage, saying, like, no, no, Jesus is at the center of this. And so I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to fear, I'm not going to be anxious, all sudden. It's like Jesus is at the center of this like worry, and fear, and pride, and selfishness, and greed, and anger, all this. Let them have a center of your life, and what happens? It all falls apart. It all falls apart. 100% of the time that I sit with couples, 100%, and I can use this for individuals too, but when 100% of the time when I sit with couples and their relationship has fallen apart, it is not because they both place Jesus at the center. it's because they put themselves there or one one of them really did that's what happens and things fall apart but when jesus is at the center and his presence is there things begin to change and i get it like no one is immune to worry or fear or pride or stuff so, like even when i say like even when the bible says fear not or when it says don't be anxious um, sometimes we can take on, like, you have like that little moment of fear. Or you have that little moment of being anxious or whatever. And you're like, oh my gosh, am, am I not trusting in Jesus? But we all go through those things, all right? But what the Bible is actually saying is that don't let it overwhelm you. Don't let it be the focus. There's a reality. We're all going to go through those things. But like that Jesus is the center. When fear becomes like the center of our faith, our faith becomes scattered. When worry becomes the center, it becomes scant, Right? Because of what? You're, it's just all your circumstances. But when Jesus is the center, in those fearful moments, in those anxious moments, in those things, it's like, hold on a second. I want my faith to speak into this. Why? Because Jesus is the center of it. There is part of this story that I was saying earlier that um, it's funny because uh, this book of Mark was was written really from Peter as like the eyewitness. So it's interesting that Peter doesn't put this part of the story of him walking on water in his like he's narrating this for Mark. And so um, this whole like, part is like left out this part of the story and there's come, some people think different things as to why he left this out. But in Matthew um, chapter 14, um, there's this really significant part of the story to the word, Peter actually gets out of the boat. And it's the, it's the same kind of details of the story, but Peter gets out of the boat. A lot of times like when you read stories like this too, I don't, I don't know if you've ever been here, you'd be like, I would've gotten out of the boat right? Meanwhile, you won't like tell anyone you're a Christian, like just your neighbor, right? Like you're gonna get out of the boat in the storm, but you won't tell Joe next door that like, hey, maybe you should come to church, right? Like there's like, like that thing. But there's this really cool part of the story in Matthew chapter 14. This is significant when we begin to see our focus. Same story, just a little different version, a little different angle. So they're approaching, and they see it's Jesus, and look what Peter says. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on water so Jesus says come and so then Peter got down off the boat walked on the water and came towards Jesus but when he saw the wind ah here it is right he gets out of the boat and he's got courage he starts walking on the water and something significant has happened Jesus has changed it this whole different story is developing at this point right But then all of a sudden, what what happens to Peter's focus? It shifts. Jesus is not the focus. What does he see? He He sees the wind, and he was afraid, and he began to sink. And he cries out, what? Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And then he says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed back into the boat, here we see that same thing, that the wind calmed down. Now, I love this part of the story because um, here's what can happen. This is why I brought up the fact that in these stories, like our brains can fill in gaps, like when there's missing information. Well, here, Peter has this full story in front of him. He's got Jesus. If he just centers it in that moment, it's like, man, he could have kept on walking out there. And he walks to Jesus. But what ended up happening was what? He started getting distracted and these gaps in the story started happening. He started telling himself this other story in his head and he started telling himself this other story that the wind was too much, and everything, what happened? He started to sink. How many guys have ever ever told yourself the wrong story in your head? Yeah, we, we all do that way too much, right? But when our focus is on Jesus, he fills in the gaps. He fills in the details. He starts telling us, and we start seeing a whole different Story. Now, am I telling you, sometimes when I say things like that, people will be like, but there is a reality of my story. And I would say, yes, there is. We acknowledge what you see, but trust in what Jesus said. Jesus told you to take courage. Jesus said to focus on him. You could, can you imagine if Peter was focused on Jesus? He knows the wind is there. He's not oblivious to that. He was just running so hard for so long. He knows it's there. So he's aware, but if his focus was on Jesus said, the whole story changes. Everything changes. Now here's what ends up happening in this story. I love this part because um, you guys know like the wind's not always at your back, right? When, like when they say those things at like weddings let the wind be forever at your back it's like that's not ever true like stop saying those things and like you know don't say that but but the wind comes at us and there's this resistance and these new revelations start happening about jesus as well that's a powerful part of this story and in the midst of like this resistance in the midst of this wind coming this new revel- revelation begins to happen they're like whoa whoa, whoa. Did you see what just happened with Jesus again? Now, as the reader, we're like, yes, we've been reading this for several chapters. Why would you, the disciples, get it? But how many times has God done stuff in your life that you just won't see? You refuse to see it. He's come through, he's come through, he's come through, he's come through, and you refuse to see it. In the wind, you feel like all you're paying attention to is the wind. And you're not seeing the new revelation that's supposed to happen about Jesus. This is how I was thinking about, it. a time where resistance can be a precursor to your greatest revelation in your faith. Listen. Here's the coolest part of the story that um, I, I, I preached on this uh, a few months ago, and I had not seen this part of the story before. OK? And so this is like such a cool part of the story. Um, actually, there's two parts that I think are really cool. First one: When does Jesus pick Peter up? As he begins to sink, and then he says to him, why'd you doubt? He doesn't say while he's sinking, why are you doubting? (laughs) And I think that's how we treat Jesus sometimes. Right? We feel like we're flailing around, and you're like, like, God's coming after me. He's like, no, 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 he's been reaching out his hand, you just won't take it. He pulls him up first. And then he says, hey, can I get your focus right here? That's a a thing, right? Because there's some realities you got to deal with. can Can I get your focus right here? Here's the part of the story that I'd never seen before. Peter had already walked on the water to Jesus, who was very far, not very far, but he was far away from the boat. How did they get back into the boat? They walked back. So here's the thing that I think some of us have to hear. You may have been sinking for quite a long time, but Jesus not only wants to pull you up, but he wants you to walk on the water again back to the boat. This isn't just a one-time deal. He's like, come on. He pulls him up and he's like, let's go back into the boat. Now. You might say, is that really, we don't see that in the story. Well, the only other option would have been if he heaved Peter back in the boat. And I feel like they would have put that back in there, right? So they they go back into the boat. And the story changes. Courage begins to change. Now here's the last part. I want to end on this. We go back to the Mark part of the story. Do you remember what it said, that the reason why the disciples didn't get it? And this is like, I think my concern for all of us all the time is, is that their hearts were hardened. They weren't seeing Jesus the way they should. They weren't seeing him in the, in the, in the storyline that they should be seeing. They weren't focused in the way that they should. So their hearts became hardened. They were missing out on the miracles. They were missing out on all these different things. They were missing out what Jesus was trying to do in their lives in his presence. Their hearts were hardened. And here they are. How privileged were the disciples to be right next to Jesus? It's the greatest privilege ever, right? Like, I mean, you can't think of a larger privilege than being next to the Son of God. And they get to see all these things firsthand. I mean, they're so privileged. They have everything at their fingertips. It's all in front of them. And they didn't get it, because their hearts were hard. But yet, they go, and it says they go into this other region. They get off the boat, and all these people who had no privilege, all these people who were really sick, All these people who were marginalized, all these people who were poor, all these people who were outcasts came running to Jesus because they knew where he was, they knew, they fully believed, they were so focused on him, they were like, can I just possibly touch the edge of the cloak of his garment and I know I'll get healed. And the disciples who are seeing everything, eating with him, sleeping in the same tent, doing all these things, have all this access to him and they just don't get it. Yet, the people who are supposed to be on the outside are like, Can I just get, can I just graze by it? We currently have everything at our fingertips, y'all. The fact that we think our faith is optional shows how privileged we are. The fact that we think engagement in the community with other Christians shows how privileged we are. The fact that we can pick up a phone and read the Bible. That's <laughs> how privileged we are. All this at our fingertips, and we keep missing it. Yet the persecuted church somehow gets it. The people that are supposedly marginalized, the people that we often look down on, they get it. Someone's hearts are hardened, and someone's hearts aren't. Because their focus is in the right place. So here's my last thing. Band, you guys can come back up. We should be paying attention to the persecuted church, not the privileged one. I think too often we're, we're looking at all the, the glitz and the glamour and all the showy stuff and who's got the most followers and who got the... You know what we should be like looking at? The people who are literally selling out their lives because they're so focused on Jesus. The people who would have their heads decapitated currently in several places in our world and they're willing to give everything they have to follow Jesus because that's the story they're, they're going to live. That's the story they're going to tell. That's how they see. It. That's what they're focused on. Changes everything. So let me ask you this. What story are you writing in your head and heart right now? Is your focus really on Jesus, is um, you getting distracted by all these other narratives? Has your faith become optional? Like, What would change in your life, seriously? What would change if you really became focused? What would change? As we're going to spend a minute here, I just want you to process what God might be speaking into your heart right now. And um, there's a lot to this story. might be a shift in your focus. And you, might, you might resonate with the fact that you've been, you feel you've been drowning for quite a while. Jesus wants to snatch us up, and he wants us to walk on water again, all of us. we just got to have our focus on Him. So we're going to throw a minute up on the clock and let you process, and then we're going to sing one more song uh, together, then I'll close us in prayer. So let's go ahead and do that now.
0: Thanks so much for watching with us this morning. If you're out there and have questions, prayer needs, or want to get better connected, you can fill out a connection card at this link. Have you heard
1: about the Summer Box Challenge? It's going to be a super fun one.
0: You'll receive a box full of materials to help you grow and engage with your community, your friendships, and your team. There's an adult box like always, and we also have a family box with a kids add-on for your little ones so they can be learning right alongside of you. And isn't this beautiful? And it might just come inside. All right, we will see you next week.